All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. I'm your host, Matt Hines. Excited to have you here live from the farmhouse basement today. Um, just excited to have you here and excited to get started on the last month of Q1. I feel like, Rishi, we were just watching the Rose Bowl parade, and it is now almost, <laughs> the, you know, we're getting towards the end of Q1. Um, I don't know. The older I get, the more I think time goes faster. There must be some science around that somewhere. But anyway, excited to have you all here. If you are watching this episode live on LinkedIn, we're so happy to have you here in the middle of your workday. If you're watching live, you have an opportunity to be part of the show. If you want to make a comment about what you're hearing today, if you want to ask a question of our guest today, we're going to be talking about the day one mentality and B2B buying and why it's so important, what it is and why it's so important. So excited to have that today. If you have a question, if you have a comment, you can be part of the show, throw that in and we'll get you up on screen. If you are listening or watching on demand, thanks so much for checking us out. Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past six, seven years of shows available on salespipelineradio.com on demand. Very excited to have today Rishi Dave, um, uh, Bain and Company. He is the commercial excellence practice leader, um, longtime CMO uh, from a number of different roles in companies. So you probably have seen his name, heard his name, maybe seen him on stage at B2B events in the past. Uh, but Rishi, so th thanks so much for joining us. Oh, great to be here. And Matt, great to see you again. I I've seen you over 20 plus years at, at everything. So it's great to just see you again. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I guess we are getting that old now, right? Yeah, We're starting we are. to talk about those years of like, boy, just it is, um, and it's a small industry we work in for it sure. Um, but like, it, it was excited to 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 hear from you and to hear kind of what you're working on these days, uh, consulting with a lot of companies around the increasing complexity of B two B marketing, buying yeah. journeys, combining sales processes with buying journeys, and of all the stuff that I know, I've seen you produce and talk about the last few months. This idea of this day one mentality stood out to me. And I think if, you know, for those of you in tech, you might think of day one mentality as sort of the Amazon mentality. Um, similar, but a little different um, in the B2B context. So maybe let's just start with, with that. Like, what what is that day one mentality? How did you find this? And why is it important for us to understand? Yeah, it was an amazing find that we kind of fell upon when we were doing research. So, um, you know, we had done um, a lot of research jointly with Google on you know b2b buying and how it's changed and like the initial wave of research is stuff that everyone now takes for granted right like things like you know b2b buyers digitally nurture themselves sales and marketing disconnects all of that but we did another set of research after that where we said well let's really dig in on the buyer journey today to find actual insights let's cut it by industry cut it by uh different you know purchase sizes and different uh b2b buyers, essentially different size B2B buyers. And so we did a whole bunch of research there and got a whole bunch of findings. But the one that was most interesting was this concept of a day one list. So what it exactly is, it's actually very practical and common sense. But like until you think about it um, and actually see the numbers, it really hits you. So, you know, what we found is that regardless of industry, regardless of kind of company size or purchase size, and regardless of how complex the procurement process is at a B2B buyer, we found one thing that's consistent. When the B2B buyer is ready to buy, they have in their mind a list of vendors that they just put down on that day one list. And depending on the industry, it's within like 86 to 90% of, of buyers have that day one list and they put that down. Then, you know, they may go through a convoluted procurement process, but like roughly 90% of the time, at the end of that procurement process, they end up buying off that day one list. 
Um, and that was no matter whether the procurement process was short, long, no matter how many people were involved, they'll sometimes add one or two vendors to that list through that procurement process. But 90% of the time, give or take a few percentage points, depending on industry, they'll end up buying off that day one list. And so that was just a big insight for us. Um, and when we talk to companies, that's something that people immediately attach on. And then they kind of say, okay, so what does that really practically mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if, if you feel if you're watching this today and you feel a breeze, it is the brand and content people violently nodding their heads. <laughs> exactly. Um, because they're like, I told you so. This is why what we do is so important. Um, and, and so let's let's talk a little, let's unpack this a little bit, right? Because I mean this yeah. has an impact on a lot of things. This is an impact on how we think about building credibility and attention with decision makers before they're ready to buy. Um, yeah. it also has an impact on the activities that we have traditionally thought were valuable uses of time. I'd love to talk about the old RFP, right? And the idea that I've, I've always, like, if I get an RFP, if I didn't know the company producing it, I'm probably already way behind. Talk about yeah. what the day one mentality means about RFPs and whether or not we yeah. should be using them. Well, I mean, you know, we found that three things get you on the day one list, right? And an RFP is not one of them, right? Like, um, right. <laughs> number one, no particular order, these three things. One is the B2B buyer, when they were at another company, they used you and they had a good experience. And so when they moved to their new company, they already knew you and they put you on that list. Number two is somebody else who they trust recommended you, right? Mm -hmm. At some point. Um, And then thirdly is exactly what you said. They were made aware of your company and what you do before they were even ready to buy you know, whether it's digitally or, you know, they were already talking to sellers or they were already talking to somebody who was, ta- who was talking to them about what you do. And so, you know, those kind of three things were like the three big buckets. So ultimately what it means is what you just said, which is branding content, you know, sellers talking to uh, B2B buyers that are on their target list before they're even ready to buy and yeah. educating them, et cetera. But it also means keep your customers happy, <laughs> you know, yeah. because... Because they're going to, you know, executives move from company to company constantly now, and they're going to put you on that list every single time if they love you, and they're going to recommend you. So it's like, keep the customers, keep, keep your clients happy, give them a great experience, and, you know, make people aware of you before they're ready to buy. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Rishi Dave. He's the uh, head of commercial insights for Bain and & Company. And this idea that, again, I'm like, like, this is important, 80 to 90% of B2B buyers have a day one list of vendors they're already considering and 90% of them pick the vendors on that day one list. Like the implications of this are profound. One of the yeah. other areas I want to discuss around this is the idea of sort of generating leads and from the right people at the right company before they're ready to buy. We had a conversation last week in a, in a CMO group about BDR management best practices. And we found several CMOs that are managing BDRs are not, I mean, obviously if you can set an appointment for a prospect that's ready to buy, great. Yep. But the other strategy is to really will do what a couple of them called value deposits to create a positive impression with that prospect to create some value through that BDR motion. I mean, you're spending money on them and you want them to send an appointment, but you're also spending money on white papers and events and other things that are meant to generate that pre-buying journey is or at least awareness, if not intent, if not consideration. Talk a little bit about what this means for what we have traditionally yep. used as pipeline generators. And how we can adjust that strategy for people that aren't ready for that pipeline. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the failure point that, that we see consistently in what you described is actually not having a robust understanding 
of who you're targeting. So, you know, today, you know, with all these data, third party data companies that are out there, you know, every single company that's out there, um, definitely in US and Europe, at least, and to some degree in Asia as well. And so you can't, you know, pre nurture everyone at the same level. So many companies do not have a clear understanding at a company by company level about where the biggest opportunities are um, for them. And so you always start at the basics, right? Like, which is, do you have that bottoms up company level database where you know your share of wallet in those companies and what the opportunity is within those companies or where they're not? And that prioritized target list that allows you to get very precise on how you, what you describe pre-nurture or do BDR outbounding, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, if some of them are big companies, then it's actually worth sellers just pre-nurturing themselves. Other times you need BDRs, other times you need inside. Obviously marketing plays a role in, in, in all types of companies, but you have to be, you know, the more precise and focused you can be, the more effective you can be in that pre-nurturing. And there's two failure points. One is you don't have that bottoms up feeling, bottoms up database. And secondly, sales and marketing are operating off two totally different databases, mm-hmm. right? And they're not yeah. coordinating the motions to go after those same set of accounts. Yep. So, so, so that's, you know, you have that same database and then sales and market to coordinate the motions against those accounts. Super interesting. I think, you know, you brought up sort of making your customers happy and sort of continuing to get business. I think, you know, even internally for our tiny little, you know, professional services firm, we have a goal for past client business we want in the pipeline, what percent of our pipeline we want past clients. And we don't just look at past clients accounts. We also cast count past executive sponsors, right? So people that had been CMO at one company have moved to a new company but bring us with them or had the positive impression to bring that with them. The other piece that I think is really prescient right now, we see a lot of companies talking about communities, right? And community-led growth initiatives and either creating or leveraging peer communities. And it seems like those recommendation, those referral engines, you know, it's people think of it historically as the dark funnel. That ain't dark. You can see it. Like it's out there, right? And so talk about the impact and the importance of communities in given this data. Yeah. Well, well, let me, like one thing you said at the beginning, was very critical, right? We are now mathematically deconstructing, which is back to your thing, how much of your incremental customers, incremental growth is coming through what we call earned growth, mm-hmm. which is growth that you earn because they've heard of you from a brand perspective, somebody recommended, um, uh, somebody recommended uh, you to them, they had used you before, et cetera. How much of your growth is coming from that versus growth that you're paying for, right? And you know we ha- there are way there, there are easy ways to mathematically kind of measure that, and over time you should have a good percentage to your point as you just described with your own company yeah. of your growth coming from this earned growth, um, and so it's very important for you to understand how much how many of your customers are you earning versus how many you're paying for. Obviously you still have to pay for customers, but you want to earn more, and so that's where you the pre nurturing the branding the content, the relationships, the influences, all that becomes very critical. Now your question on communities, like it obviously depends on, you know, the, what industry you're in and the company that you're in, et cetera. But like, for example, in tech with, you know, tech oriented companies, you're selling to developers, those communities are super critical because mm-hmm. that's where you get a majority of referrals. So it just depends on kind of the nature of your industry and where they credibly go. So I work with like tech companies where those digital communities are critical. I also work with industrial companies where they're less so, and it's more of a person to person referral. You have right. to just really know that and know what it's going to take 
to drive that earned growth. And also you can leverage where in the past you've been successful. Yeah, well, I want to go back because we're just a few more minutes here talking about this topic. Uh, I want to go back to those people that were nodding vehemently, like the brand folks, the content folks, um, where, you know, they're not, you know, if you're if you're creating uh, sort of, you know, your own sort of earned traffic, earned attention, right? Like that isn't immediately measured on pipeline. But is there, I mean, I'm a math marketer, right? And I like to think about things in terms of sort of justifying its existence, even if it's not a direct response to something you can buy a beer with. Are there ways to mathematically create sort of a formula that says, here's the impact, here's the work I'm doing to invest in those relationships? It, can can that material, you, do we do that based on sort of an expected future pipeline? Can we, can we justify it based on expected future conversion rates and faster sales cycles? What have you seen in the wild? Yeah, so we built a whole practice on this. And, you know, um, I mean, obviously Bain invented NPS. So this is like the next evolution. But like, it's really to, to boil it down to an overly simple level, but it actually works. Look at the customers you're earning today and ask them, why did you consider, why did you look at us in the first place? Right. And, and, and you know, we, we have kind of surveys that we've tested over time that really, you know, um, deconstruct what's earned and what's not, but at, let me make it super basic, right? Look at your customers you're getting now and simply ask them, like, did you come in because you're responding to an ad? Or do you mm -hmm. come in because somebody referred you? Or do you come in because you worked for us? There's a lot of questions you can ask yeah. on why they came into you in the first place. And that'll help you get an initial feel for how many of these customers you're earning and how much you're paying for. And then look at you know what's been successful in earning those customers and do more of that. Now, yeah. I'm overly simplifying. We've made that very programmatic and scalable. But that, at yeah. the most basic level, gives you a, actually surprisingly a, a, a pretty robust understanding of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think when you think about sort of these more complex deal cycles where you've got multiple members of a buying committee, you know, there may be one or two of those people that you can impact. But part of your job then, even before the the the, the buying the buying process begins, is to build some internal consensus. Like I think of like you know a commitment to change, which is when yeah. you proceed buying or considering your product is still consensus building internally. And there's yeah. absolutely a role for creating preference for that day one list internally, having internal circulation oh, of your yeah. ideas and values as part of this. Um, just as we wrap up here, I mean, last question maybe for you is around the change management component of this, right? Because I think this intuitively, this makes a lot of sense. And I know you've got a lot of data and, and sort of some case studies behind it. But you know, there's a lot of companies out there that still worship the altar of the marketing qualified lead, right? Yeah. And the, the the sales team loves it, the leadership team loves it, the board loves it. And so everything gets sort of narrowed down to like how many MQLs did it generate, which is a, a short-term and maybe short-sighted approach to thinking about how to build sustained long-term predictable pipeline. What are some ways that, like if, if other people are sort of saying this makes sense, how do you start to sort of build that change management into your organization so you can think in a more complex, nuanced, and successful, scalable way about yeah. building future pipeline? Well, one way that has been very effective is what I described, which is just look at where your existing customers came. Because, for example, you may think based on your mathematical that based on um, your mathematics and analytics that these customers came, and they may have come as an MQL, but when you actually ask them why they came in the first place. It's not because they, you know, saw a content piece, clicked on it, and then converted in the lead. They did they, before they even got to that point. They got a referral. They 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 heard of you already. Um, it was a branding element or some kind of earned element. And then they said, okay, now I'm ready to buy. Let me go in and fill out a lead form. And so, like, starting to gather that data on the customers you're getting today and showing that, look, what's actually making them come in is brand 
is referrals, is, is content, is all of this, and not the traditional kind of short-term MQL. And building that database of you know, your current customers becomes very effective and eye-opening for the board, for executives, et cetera. Um, so, so all of that becomes very effective. And then there's obviously a lot of other things that we do already, which is like, look at your organic traffic, look at how that's growing, look at your, there's a lot of short stuff, stuff that we can use to measure, um, you know, how much brand recognition you have as well. But both those things have worked really well. It's both looking at kind of the organic traffic, your branded traffic coming from search, but also looking at what's truly driving your new customers today. Yep. This is awesome. I mean, so much to unpack here and hopefully, you know, we've sort of lit, lit a bit of a fuse for people listening to say, okay, what does this mean for their organization? What can they do internally? I know that you've got a lot of content up on your profile on Bain.com, yeah. on your LinkedIn profile as well. You know, you've, you've got some stuff up on Harvard Business Review and you've been interviewed, yeah. quoted and written a lot. Where can people find more about this? Where should we go? Where should they go? Yeah. So um, you can uh, definitely follow me on LinkedIn. You can definitely follow me on Twitter at R-I-V-S-H-I-P-D-A-V-E, so R-I-S-H-I-P-D-A-V-E. And then, you know, just go on, go to Bain.com and, and I'm, I have a whole profile up there and you can see all the articles I've written as well. Awesome. We will put those links in the show notes as well. So y'all have access to those. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Rishi. This has been great. This is such, I mean, I think this is, you know, for people that have been doing B2B marketing, like this intuitively makes sense, but to have some data and some real frameworks behind it to try to not only operationalize it, but also create some of the change management required internally to create an operational uh, shift across departments and perspectives and kind of organizations. So thank you very much for, for the insights and thanks for joining us today. I know you're busy. Yeah, no, thank you. And you know, I've, I've followed you over the last 20 plus years and your content has been fantastic. And I'm sure your audience sees that as well. So you've lived this. So uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. Well, thank you everyone for watching and listening today. Thanks for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. My name is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week. Take care.